0: Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you. We sing Hosanna, crying, Lord, bring your salvation. And so, Lord, we pray that as we turn to your word, that you would remind us That you would remind us of the great hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who goes into hard places to bring hope, who goes into dark places to bring life. And Lord, we gladly surrender ourselves to your Lordship in our lives this day, and we pray that as we look to your Word and the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds to make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray, amen. It's a fuzzy memory to me, but at some point in my childhood, I remember going to somebody's house. And my mother, who's joining us by way of the broadcast right now, can probably tell me exactly who it was, but I can't remember right now. But I remember going out to a farm, and there was an older lady. And when you're a kid, everybody's older, right? So it doesn't matter how old this person was, she was older. She was somebody's grandma, and that was enough. So we were there, and part of what we did while we were at this house was to snap green beans. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat on the front porch of a house and snapped green beans? Have you ever been forced into that kind of torture? No, I, I think our world would be a better place if more of us sat on the front porch with grandma and snapped green beans, amen? But I can remember this this one phrase coming out of this woman's mouth, and I couldn't even tell you who she was, but I remember at one point she said in the course of the conversation, God works in mysterious ways. Now, she wasn't talking to me. I was a kid, and I grew up in that strange era where kids were just supposed to be quiet and ignored, and that was okay. That wasn't abusive or anything like that. Just do the thing. We need you to snap green beans so we can have supper tonight. But I remember that sticking in my brain. God works in mysterious ways. That's, that's nothing unique to her. That's a phrase we've all heard. It's a phrase most of us have said, and, and normally it comes within the context of the outcome of some sort of difficult situation in which we have seen yet again that Romans eight twenty eight is true. That our God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose even when we can't understand how He would ever work anything like some of the situations we have to face, that He would ever bring good from anything like that. But normally when we come to the outcome of some sort of difficult moment and we say God works in mysterious ways, it's to give testimony to the fact that God really does work in ways that are too lofty for us to understand. To show His presence, to show His love, to show His light, and to bring His hope even in the most difficult of circumstances. God works in mysterious ways. Mr. Rogers was faithful, and Mr. Rogers was remembered for telling little kids back in the days when I grew up, when you see disaster happen, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. Look for those who are there to use their gifts and talents and abilities to bring good into a horrible moment. And the helpers are there, aren't they? Some of you in this room have dedicated your life to being a helper. You're not the kind of person who runs away from difficulty. You run toward it to bring help to others. When we do those sorts of things, we are modeling exactly what Jesus did on Palm Sunday two millennia ago. Because Jesus understood what awaited him when he went into Jerusalem. Some of the disciples understood, maybe not fully in the way that they would later come to understand. But you remember Thomas, who when they were at Bethany and Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. What did Thomas, who gets called the doubter, the twin, Didymus, who's looked down upon by most of us because he had a moment where his faith wasn't quite as strong as perhaps he would have hoped it had been. What did Thomas say when Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem? He said, well, let's go with him so that we may die alongside him. So they understood the gravity of what was coming. Jesus understood fully the gravity of what was coming, for it was for this purpose that he had come. Now many people had looked upon his miracles and had seen all the great works of God revealed through him, and they had said, he is the Messiah. One of the most famous declarations of that truth came in a town called Caesarea Philippi from Peter speaking on behalf of the disciples when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. You are the one upon whom we have been waiting, the one that Moses told us was coming. You are the one who will crush the head of the serpent. You are the anointed one of God. But even in making that declaration, even in making that confession, there were still things about Jesus' life and ministry that they couldn't understand. They couldn't wrap their minds around them. And as he descended from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, the people shouted. The people shouted the words of a song they had known throughout the course of their lives. The people sang And the people rejoiced because they believed that through Jesus their salvation was coming. And it was, but not in the way they thought. Their salvation was coming, but not in the way they expected. What Jesus would bring would be a far greater salvation. A salvation not just over the oppression of a regime under whose pressure they had to live, but a salvation over enemies that live outside of the realm of what we're able to see, a salvation over sin, a salvation over death, a salvation over Satan, a salvation over hell. Rome was awful. Satan is worse. And what Jesus was bringing was a deliverance over the captivity that held them captive and that holds us captive, the captivity of Satan who holds us captive to sin, to steal and kill and destroy in our lives. But Jesus came to make us free. So I want to give you this theme today, if you're taking notes, Jesus revealed the heart of God and Jesus reveals my heart too. Jesus revealed the heart of God, and Jesus reveals my heart too. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're gonna look at verses 28 through 48. If you're in the room in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 878, page 878. Luke, the physician, picks up this narrative. As he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, And he tells us this beginning in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Our first point today is this, Jesus revealed God's heart to redeem. Jesus revealed God's heart to redeem. Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. Nobody else seemed to quite understand that. Thomas had a hint, but Jesus knew what awaited him. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke would tell us that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and what's beautiful is God's Word word all works together. The Old Testament the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what was Luke communicating? Well, Luke was communicating by telling us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was communicating that Jesus was the servant who in the third of four of Isaiah's servant songs would set his face like a flint to do that for which he had come. Isaiah chapter 50 verses 5 through 7 says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard i hid not my face from disgrace and spitting but the lord god helps me therefore i have not been disgraced therefore i have set my face like a flint and i know that i shall not be put to shame in isaiah's four servant songs the most famous of which unquestionably uh, begins in isaiah chapter 53 verse 12 and goes through isaiah chapter 50 No, begins in 52 verse 13 and goes through 53, 12. We know that Jesus is this suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied seven centuries before his coming. What is Jesus doing? He is setting his face like a flint because he knows that for which he has been sent. He knows he has been sent to redeem us. And in order to redeem us, this perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God would have to die in our place. He would have to do for us exactly what K.J. just confessed in that water, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, so the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And so, day after day, year after year, in the old covenant, the priests stood making sacrifices over and over and over, but those were imperfect sacrifices foreshadowing of what was to come. For the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world was coming, and he would bear in his body the weight of our sin, and he would do it once for all. He doesn't need to be sacrificed repeatedly, no, once was enough. But he knew that's why he had come. And when the time came for him to be taken up, he set his face like a flint. He sent his disciples to go get that donkey in fulfillment of prophecy. He had said in John's Gospel, John chapter 10 verse 18, that no one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus said, this charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew exactly what he was doing, and in his great love for us, he went. Look with me at verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. to reign. Jesus revealed God's heart to reign. Jesus knew exactly what His disciples were doing as they witnessed their King coming into Jerusalem, righteous and having salvation. It was the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." Further down in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16, the prophet would say, "'On that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his land. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as the eternal king. He was the king of God's people Israel. He was our king. Indeed, he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And they were celebrating. But again, as they were celebrating, it was a short-sighted celebration. All they could see was what the, was the suffering that they were experiencing in the moment. All they could see was the recent history in which they were under the thumb of Rome. All they could see was the deliverance that God might bring from their temporary problem. And what Jesus came to bring was deliverance from a much greater problem. Not a temporary problem, an eternal problem. Dr. Paul Chitwood stood in our pulpit in November and told us that the greatest problem the world faces is lostness, because that's the only problem that lasts forever. Every other problem ends the moment you die. But lostness bears its full force in that moment. Today we live in a world where lostness is prevalent, where evil is real. One day Christ will return and on that day when we join in that chorus of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel, Hosanna, Hosanna. We rejoice in his second coming, we will see all evil brought to an end. Jesus came to bring a greater victory. They hoped for temporal relief. Jesus came to bring eternal salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He also knew why the Pharisees were objecting. Because what his disciples were doing was they were singing a song. It was Psalm 118. It was the the last of a group of psalms known as the Egyptian Hillel songs. These are songs that are recorded in our Bible that have been sung by God's people for millennia because they proclaim great victory in God, even over the oppression of Egypt. In this moment, perhaps over the oppression of Rome, but in all times, the oppression of sin and Satan. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And that one little phrase, save us, we pray, O Lord, is in the Hebrew, hoshiana, that's translated into the Greek, hosanna, and transliterated into the English, Hosanna. Save us, O Lord. Bring us your salvation. And from the very deepest parts of who we are, we feel it crying out from within us again, don't we? Save us, O Lord. The Pharisees were indignant because this song was meant for the Messiah. And so they came to Jesus and said, silence your disciples. You know what they're saying. And Jesus, understanding full well what they were saying, said, I tell you, If they were silent, even the stones would cry out. Tabidi Anyabwile, on that phrase, the, the stones will cry out, says, our Lord's response is famous in every expressive church and among those who love to praise God. God will be praised by his creation, even if inanimate rocks must give voice to his greatness. The rocks will cry out. The trees will clap, according to Isaiah 55, 12. The mountains will skip and sing, according to Psalm 114, verses 4 and 6. And Isaiah 55, verse 12. The sky will proclaim his handiwork, according to Psalm 19, verse 1. Everything that has breath will praise the Lord, according to Psalm 150, verse 6. So we don't have to join in the chorus of praise, but we choose not to to our own detriment. Because even if we don't praise the Lord, even the stones will cry out. And the Pharisees were mad because they understood what the disciples were saying. Jesus did too. But Jesus understood who he was more than the Pharisees ever could could hope to. Jesus understood who he was more than his disciples ever could hope to. Jesus understood his identity, so he went in to Jerusalem. But he stopped before he went in. Look with me at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Our third point, Jesus revealed God's heart to rescue. Jesus revealed God's heart to rescue. To me, this is one of the most beautiful expressions of Jesus' heart. He is riding into Jerusalem, knowing full well what's coming, knowing that those who are now crying, Hosanna, will soon scream, crucify, that they will ask for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. They want a murderer to be released instead of the Son of God. They want the Son of God crucified. They will put a plaque over him on the cross that says, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. He knows what's coming. And he stops to weep over the city that will do this to him in just days. Saying to them, how often I have longed to gather you to cover you, to protect you, to defend you, to call you my own, but you wouldn't come. I sent you prophets to speak God's truth into your lives and you killed them. And now the son has come and you will kill him too. But Jesus, in his great love for the inhabitants of that city that would soon be crying crucify, pauses on his way in to grieve over their hard-heartedness and their lostness. And he keeps going. Verse 45. and calls me home. Jesus reveals my heart and calls me home. What would compel God's people to turn the temple of Almighty God that's supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of robbers? Well it's simple, a wicked heart. A heart that cares more about my personal gain than the worship of Almighty God. A heart that cares more about my personal system than surrender to God. Let me ask you this. What would motivate us to defy God's order, to desecrate God's creation, to treat carelessly the very people that God created in His image? And to treat flippantly the decrees of Almighty God. Only a wicked heart. you got to understand that when Jesus came, He was the light of the world. And there was nothing but darkness. Before Jesus went to that cross, before Jesus arose victoriously from that grave, all there could be was spiritual death. There were those who sought to trust and follow Almighty God according to the Word of God, and that was a beautiful thing. They were looking with longing for the coming of the Messiah. But only when Jesus came was God's light delivered into the world in such a way that it could then, through an old rugged cross and through the victory of an empty tomb, be passed on to us. There's a reason we give people who are baptized a candle coming out of the water. And it is to represent the light of Jesus Christ that dwells in the lives of everyone who has repented of sin to surrender themselves to Jesus. And that light is not supposed to be hidden, that light is supposed to be set on a stand to illuminate the world, not hidden under a bushel basket, not kept to ourselves. So on Palm Sunday, as we step into Holy Week, our question is this, will we who trust and follow Jesus allow His light to shine through us for all to see? For He is the hope of the world. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call two seven zero eight four two zero three three one.